Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hello, Calvary of Albuquerque. You know, every time I'm not with you guys, I miss you guys, which means right now I'm not with you, and so I'm missing you guys right now. It is true. But in my place, there's a great speaker, Dr. Ross Rhodes. Now, Ross is the chaplain of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. He's also the vice chairman of the board of directors of Samaritan's Purse. He's done 200 crusades himself around the world as well as founding a seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina, the Southern Evangelical Seminary with Dr. Norm Geisler. But all that stuff aside, the really great thing about Ross is he's just a great guy, a good friend, and a wonderful teacher and encourager. So please welcome Dr. Ross Rhodes. And uh, we would always say, too, we miss Skip. Carol and I came uh, last night because uh, we wanted to circle the campus and pray and so on. And uh, when I was here before, I don't think I appreciated uh, the extent of the, of the complex of the campus. And after 27 years and starting at a Bible study, these buildings just didn't pop up, you know. And being a pastor and building a complex myself for 25 years. I know the labor and the love, uh, the integrity that it takes because people give to ministry. Money always follows ministry. And the trust factor has to be there for the donor to become a partner. So his vision, vision is seeing what other people don't before they might see it. You have to have vision, but you have to have the ability to execute it or carry out the vision. And if you have those two, with the overall quality of integrity, you have the ideal ministry and the fruits of it. And uh, that is so obvious here. And I don't know whether you were here when it was birthed or you're just in the last couple of years. But I hope that you would give praise to the Lord for Skip and the leadership and to the people, because I'm sure there are people that are not here today who have passed on or gone someplace else who have originally invested in this property and make it so attractive and so national in its so notoriety. And I want you to give praise to the Lord for all of that and especially for the pastor. Let's do that. It uh, certainly is a special joy for me to be here today. Uh, I last saw Skip at, uh, at the Greg Laurie family service for their son. Something about Skip, I think it's the hair. The hair is just so natural. And uh, he's tall and has a bearing about him that makes him literally head and shoulders among uh, Calvary Chapel leadership. Many of them uh, don't have as much hair as he does, so it's <laughs> obvious when he stands around. But he has such a quality about him, and uh, he's so likable. And I'm more than happy to be uh, to be called a friend. Uh, 
And thanks to him for the introduction. When St. Paul was converted, he said he was the chief of sinners. At the end of his life, he said, I'm the least of all the saints. So I think as we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, we have a better view of who we are and uh, what we have been by the grace of God. Aren't you glad you go to a church that preaches the truth and lives the truth? You know you have a natural uh, uh, reverberation of your church. People love this church that are not here, and it's a it's a church of truth. And if you're grateful to be part of this church, either as a visitor or an onlooker or uh, whatever you call it. You don't have memberships here, do you? You're not members. But, well, I don't mean that to put you down. I mean you, uh, <laughs> you're regular folk, right? If you're glad for that, just say amen. I don't know whether you heard about the talking dog from South Carolina speaking of truth. And this man was driving to Myrtle Beach, which is a great place to be. And he saw the sign, Talking Dog for Sale. Did a U-turn, came back. Farmer was standing in the yard, and he said, You have a sign, handmade, Talking Dog for Sale. Do you have this dog? He said, Yes. He said, Where is he? He said, Well, he's in the back, back of the house. He said, "Uh, You're not kidding, are you? He said, No. Well, could I see the dog? The answer is yes. Goes in the back, dog's sitting there, and he says, Dog, do you talk? He said, absolutely. He said, you talked all your life? He said, sure. He said, well, what did you do? You sit here in the backyard and talk? Talk to yourself or talk to him? He said, no. He said, I work for the FBI. And he said, I would just hang around crime centers and pick up information. So I was very useful to law enforcement. And then the CIA, after 9-11, uh, heard about me, and I went to Baghdad and Beirut and places of terrorism, and he said I would gather information. He said I was very valuable. And the man just stood there like you're waiting for the punchline and uh, said, you want to sell this dog? He said, absolutely. He said, well, why do you want to sell this dog? He said, because the dog is a liar. He never did any of those things he said he did. <laughs> So it's one thing to talk the truth, and it's another thing to know it. And to know the truth is liberating. And uh, for the word of God is able to save even to the guttermost, we used to say in Philadelphia. Would you take your Bible and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. The key verse to connect with current events is the verse in Corinthians where it says, Every person's life lifestyle, and work. A work is an extension of what you are. That will be measured someday by God. To be gold, silver, we would say maybe bronze, gold, silver, precious stone, or the other category, wood, hay, and stubble, combustible, so that your work will be tried by fire. The word fire is used just to highlight the disintegrating quality of a life that just hangs on and does very little. When you come to the epistles, your great, well-taught church, so you can understand how somewhat fearful I am this morning to preach here, you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the historic eyewitness record of those who followed Christ. 
Then you have the book of Acts. Our Lord is absent but available in the permanent presence of the Holy Spirit. And here you have the documentation of the early days of the developing of the church without Jesus. And then you have epistles, we call them, or letters, that are written by St. Paul to city centers like Albuquerque or Philippi or Thessalonica or Colossae or Galatia, which was more of a region. And uh, these churches received letters from the Apostle Paul because as he traveled in an itinerant way with Silvanus and Timothy, both mentioned in the text, and uh, Epaphroditus and Alexander and uh, others who were in the traveling entourage, a church would be birthed and then he'd write letters back or send Titus back or send Timothy back to Ephesus and so on. And they would bring back to Paul, imagine this without modern transportation, the well-being or the health of the church. And then you have a couple of letters that are written to the leaderships of the church. Titus is told to establish elders and have an infrastructure for the congregation and be careful of the Cretans and so on. And then to Timothy, who was pastoring the church of Ephesus that Paul birthed, you have first and second letters to this pastor who is rather troubled and fearful and given to depression and beginning to back off from the ministry and growing stale in his teaching. Of all the churches that seem to be ideal, the church at Thessalonica seems to be the ideal congregation. Now what brings me to this text is that the people in the church were unusual and unique. We all know from those who study and study those who studied, we call them scholars, that Paul was probably only in this city about four weeks. He had come from Philippi where they beat him up and, and put him in prison. He comes here uh, certainly, uh, you would think, discouraged and kind of out of breath, spiritually speaking. He's here for about a month and he births this church which was Gentile and Jewish, but eventually he had to leave because of the troublemakers. He was always on the run. So when you read this letter, you say to yourself, after four weeks, these people got it and got it quickly because in the church, as we read in the text this morning, he doesn't scold them or blame them or say that they have heard him or whatever, unlike the Corinthian church where he was there for 18 months before the first person came to the Bible study. And, and the church that hurt him so badly, he couldn't win them over, like I'm trying to do kind of humanly this morning to connect with you. He could not connect with them. They were so schismatic. And you know all about the Corinthian letters. I mean, you've been preached on that for probably through the years. But not this congregation. These people were unusual. And I would like to point out three things about them this morning, just give you where I'm going. Uh, I see them as established people. And I see them also as uh, experienced people. They were not just cerebral. They just didn't know content, although this is a tremendous letter. They had experienced something. And uh, they were evangelistic. I'll kind of go over that a little bit. But they were expectant people. They were on the edge of their seats. And we read in the text, as we'll look at it right now, beginning in verse 
3, he says, I remember you for your labor of love, uh, your work of faith, same word, and your patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. We all know about how God's selection and favor has been upon you. For our gospel came not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in assurance. And read down with joy in verse 6. And as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, you became followers of us and of the Lord. You usually followed somebody else first before you came to know the Lord. That's the importance of living a consistent Christian life because people are watching you all the time. You became followers of us and of the Lord. The three kinds of Christians, a learner or a disciple, as somebody who follows and begins to take on the pedigree of the teacher or the group, and then imitators, people who begin to replicate the style of the teacher or the leader, or the idea or the concept, the philosophy or the truth of the leader. For the early school was peripatetic, which means you lived with the teacher. You followed him, you had lunch with him, and uh, you slept where he slept. And as he walked and did his thing, you learned and picked it up. It's called the peripatetic, a walking school before it became residential and established. So this is an interesting thing. They not only received the word, but received it in category one, two, three, power, Holy Spirit, and experience. But they begin to replicate this life, this wonderful thing he calls our gospel. And then it says, if you look down, that uh, they were examples, prototype, models. In all of Macedonia and Achaia, two words that Rome put upon their, their great imperial footprint. This was a region. Like you say, I guess it's southwest here or whatever. Achaia and Macedonia. Macedonia was up toward uh, what we would call southern Europe. So they were uh, a regionally influential church. Doesn't say they ever sent a missionary. They didn't, of course. They didn't have the personnel at that point. But what they were was, was uh, the word actually sounded as the word for echo or reverberation. What they were became an influence, an atmosphere, an ambition. Uh, ambience to the whole area. They were just not kind of church-centered in one spot. And then he says that uh, I don't need to talk to you about that because that's already taking place. Look at it. Because you came, look at it in verse 9. You turned to God to serve the living and true God and to wait. We call that in English infinitives. To turn, to serve, and to wait For the Lord Jesus who will come, the one who was risen, as we sang this morning, give an amen to the risen, conquering Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Because he has saved you from the wrath to come. I'd like to ask you this morning a couple of questions. Let me ask you first. uh, I would assume that as believers you are established, but by that I mean... You know the gospel, you know the truth, you have Bibles. Almost everyone looked down when I say, look at the text. Most unusual, in 95 to 98% of the churches in the United States, 
if you've done any traveling at all, this kind of church is very, very unique. They were established because of three things. First of all, they had a faith that worked. Now that seems to be an antithesis to the concept of faith. We think faith is work less. I mean, you're not saved by works or effort or even desire. You're saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. But they had a faith that was expressed. A current illustration was yesterday in the announcement of the governor of Alaska to be the running mate with Mr. McCain. I can identify with it because it happened in our family on her last birth of her fifth child. Uh, the doctor said the child will have a birth defect do you want to abort? And she said, no, uh, we treat this child as a gift of God. Now, you can take a stand for life, but when it comes to the fact that you're going to have a lifelong commitment to a child that is Down syndrome, there your ethics are at the crossroads. You either go with your belief system or you compromise out of convenience because, as you know, 97% of all abortions are elective surgery. Our son and daughter-in-law faced the same with their second child, who was told at the 27th day the back isn't going to be right and he will be born uh, spina bifida. And at this point, the bifurcation, the break in the spinal fluid, is at the waist. Sometimes it's at the top. but So he doesn't work from the waist down. However, thank the Lord, he is a third-year student in a wheelchair at Liberty University and is going to be a missionary. I don't know how, but he's going to be a missionary. So when your faith is exercised and, and uh, expressed in the depth of your conviction, this is real faith. Do you have a faith like that, or does it fluctuate? Is it compromised by circumstances? It depends. Is it a fuzzy faith? Is your faith strong in Christ? If everybody in this church was as strong spiritually as you are, and the level of your faith as high as it is, would the spiritual tone of this church be better, or would you still be under the curve? For to be cerebrally and mentally connected to truth is fine. You can know the Bible and not know the truth. You can have the knowledge of God and not know the truth. There were some under the influence of Paul who had the knowledge of God but didn't have the power. It didn't work. It wasn't down deep. It was a conviction out of convenience or culture rather than out of conviction. In Charlotte, we have 375 Baptist churches. Culturally, you're a Christian and a Southern Democrat, which means you're for states' rights first. That's the difference between a Northern Democrat and a Southern Democrat. Now it's becoming strongly Republican. Well, so what do you vote? You vote the party. And you're in your church or your denomination as part of the culture, like half of our family, Roman Catholic. You're always a Catholic. It just It's part of the culture. You can be anything else. You know that certain faiths disagree and so on, but that's the way it is. It's a gene connection. And you could be here this morning and have a gene connection, or you could have a cultural connection. You go to Calvary, Albuquerque. But you're sitting here this morning, and you can't really sing that with conviction, that he is, your, he is the mountain mover, that he is your salvation. And you're not sure your sins are forgiven, and you're really going to heaven. 
You'd like to believe it, but you're not there yet. You've not come to resolution. And so faith doesn't work. Well, this morning, right there, right where you are, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died for your sins. Nobody else could. We used to sing, there is no one good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. Jesus Christ is not a way. He's the only way, exclusive. All other ways are detours or dead ends or cul-de-sacs. He's the straight line to God. Say amen for that. Sure. Sure. Give Him glory. Secondly, they had a, a love that was exuberant. They weren't smiling with their teeth. They were putting their hands, and the word labor comes from uh, travail, the French word, which means when a woman is in labor, she's in travail, a labor, something you feel. So when you give in the boxes this morning, you feel it. You've lost a little bit. You're not as secure economically because you gave to the Lord the first of your check, not left over. Giving is not last minute. It's purposeful. The Bible says on the first day of the week, let every person as, that's proportionate, God has prostrated him, let him give. Concerning the collection of the churches. A faith that works. And a faith that is confident. The word hope doesn't appear in the Old Testament. The word is confidence. Confidence. The object of anything that gives you anticipatory good is predicated about what the object of faith is. Yesterday I thought this is going to be a cool weekend with that sky. You're, you're the city of the big sky. And today, ah, it's like uh, Chicago or L.A. We love rain. Somebody came after the whatever service it was the last time and he said, We love rain. How come you? I wasn't hitting the fact of rain. I was hoping yesterday that it would stay like this. But you see, my hope was spurious. It was predicated on not even looking at the weather report. So that was kind of dumb to expect the same thing. But our hope is built on, tell me, nothing less. Come on. And Jesus' blood and what? Righteousness. Everything else is a sinkhole. They were established. Are you really established? Are you stronger this week than last week? Are you growing in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ? There's no exam here. I'm not going to give an invitation for people to come forward this morning. I'm here to kind of supplement and be a footnote to this great church and this great pastor. But just as a personal checklist this morning, you know, what's the pressure? How, how are you doing? And if it's not up the snuff, if it's not up top, if it's not there, if you don't feel the movement forward, but you're slipping back, if you're not moving forward, you're backsliding. There's no such thing as get by. The Bible is not a get by book. It's a get go book. Then maybe the answer is in the gospel. Would you look at it in verse 5? They received the word not just in content or in an academic way, but in power, in the Holy Spirit, in assurance, in joy, and affliction. Five things. We'll not cover them all. Power is the word, 11 words in the New Testament for the word power. You all know Acts 1.8. 
you shall receive power. John 1.12, but as many received him, to them gave he power. Or 1 Timothy 1, God has not given you the spirit of power. Or Hebrews, where it speaks of the power of the devil. They're all different words. One, Acts 1.8, is ability. The power of the devil is that it's usurped power. He's a squatter. He took over the earth. Someday he'll be dumped. But in the meanwhile, he's the prince of the power of the air. And 1 John 5, the world lies like a big ball in the lap of the wicked one. But it's stolen power. And in John 1.12, it's power that is granted. We have the power. It means the authority and the right to be called the children of God. We didn't get it by ourselves. We got it because we were given the designation as the sons and daughters of God. Let the church say amen. This power is one experiential. Experiential in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What is the Holy Spirit? Well, our Lord left. He's absent. But He's available in the one part of the Trinity, very difficult to understand, that continues to produce the presence of the living God in a spiritual, invisible form who inculcates the teachings of Jesus and and who indwells the bodies of believers. For you are not your own, you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what makes it different now is it's because it's the Holy Spirit. All our hymns are Trinitarian in the use of the word Holy. We sing holy, holy, holy. Or even the praise songs, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. You never say just, just, just. Because when you speak of the Holy Spirit, you speak of the presence of Christ, as if he were here, but he isn't, but in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the presence of a holy, invisible God. And he's here right now. He's here right this minute. He's in me and he's in you if you're a believer. And because of that, we have to be conscientious about the fact that he's holy. What does it mean to be holy? It means to exorcise like you do a demon. You deliver yourself from temptation or trial or doubt or sins that you know about and you follow a path of holiness. That's why he tells the church, not scolding them, he says, abstain fornication, any sex outside of marriage, is the opposite of the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit... You have a force, poor word. You have a, a cognition effect. You have an assurance effect. You have a confidential system that says, I belong to Christ. I'm not my own. I'm supposed to be. I'm charged to be. It's a commandment to be holy. Peter wrote, Boo, be ye holy as I am holy. Wow. These people were holy, and the fact that they were, they, they had assurance and confidence. And one of the indications that you're not the Christian you ought to be is that you've lost confidence. You're vacillating. You're not sure. You don't witness with any great aggression. You meet a Muslim, they witness. They stand. They contradict your Bible. You better know the answers. They are gifted in apologetics, in defending their faith. 
We have to learn it and go to school and take courses. And I did nine years beyond high school to be able to do what God's called me to be. These people never went to anything, didn't even have a Bible, but were visited by the Apostle Paul for about a month. And they received the Word in power and assurance and the Holy Spirit. And they were happy about it. That's incredible. And where is the evangelical church today? Barna just told us, probably your pastor did, like Gallup in political circles, that 57% of evangelicals think that Jesus Christ isn't the only way, and 82% of them don't even know anything about the Holy Spirit. No wonder we have an emerging church. No wonder we have political leftness in the evangelical world. No wonder the evangelicals are not being criticized for not caring for the poor. Are you kidding? 85% of all the work that's done in behalf of missionary, evangelistic, social, energized, and passionate efforts for the poor around the world is financed by the Church of the United States of America and not the liberal denominational churches by evangelicals who love the Bible and say, this is our passion and purpose to go into all the world. Talk about caring for the poor. The evangelicals do it. But now we're being blamed that instead of preaching the gospel, we should talk about ecology and the poor and everything else. It's not that they're denying the Bible, these emergent people. They're just overlooking it. If we get the gospel straight, that Christ died for our sins and rose again, and incumbent upon every believer is to know that without question, even though we don't have all the answers, but to know it in the Holy Spirit, no matter what comes, we're able to cope with it. That's power. It's the gospel. You know, in the South, we talk about Southern gospel, black gospel. We either even have Southern sausage. Can you imagine such a thing? Then there's the charismatic gospel. And up north, New Jersey and New York, our grandchildren go to a, a reform school. Wonderful. I don't mean reform school like they're delinquents. I mean, uh, <laughs> they're Christian reformers, Dutch people. And so it's reformers, Calvinism, a system, you know. We're Dutch. You're not much. I mean, that kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, they say that about themselves. I'm not being critical, lest anybody's online downstreaming or upstreaming this, you know. I mean, the point is you can get very cultural. You can make the gospel adapt to you and your interests. But Romans 1 says it's God's gospel. It's about God's Son. Romans 1.16, it's a saving gospel. Not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God into salvation. It's the gospel of grace gospel of peace. It's called the righteous gospel in Romans. Paul says it's the glorious gospel. The Bible says it's the everlasting gospel. It's the gospel of the Holy Spirit. It's about God who condescendingly sent His Son. God was in the Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. They had it straight and they stayed with it and they had power and influence. Do you have that today? Do you have that today? Do you have a centrality of the Christian truth that not only 
helps you to understand the content of it, but you're experiencing it on a daily basis. The ability to express your faith in a relevant way that causes you this morning to be assured of the truth of the gospel, the Holy Spirit that constantly is purifying you and making you a holy person. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, that's the only way we stand a chance in this culture and the darkness that is coming so subtly we don't even see it. They were expectant. I love those infinitives. To turn, repentance, to God from idols, to serve and to wait. If Paul couldn't do anything with the Corinthian church, he ends up by saying, Maranatha, if any man love not Jesus Christ, let him be damned. Words only used twice. One in Corinthians, one in Galatians, where he says, if anybody preaches any other message that's not coming from my epistles, let him be damned even an angel from heaven. And he said, Maranatha, the Lord comes. Because they were so preoccupied with themselves that they forgot that the Lord Jesus can come at any moment and at any time and evacuate his church. Several years ago, it's been many now since the Soviet Union fell, and I was asked to speak to pastors under the School of Evangelism, Mr. Graham's uh, perpetual effort to reach pastors. And I was given a title I had never been given before. Usually it was how to preach evangelistically or how to give the invitation or evangelism and discipleship and so on. I was asked to speak on the subject, Evangelism and the Coming of Christ, and Victor Hamm, who's a seasoned staff associate of Mr. Graham, came to Christ under his ministry in the Soviet Union, is now our key man in Europe, particularly in that part of the world. And I asked him, tell me what the fledgling small group of Christians believe about the coming of the Lord. He said, well, during the Soviet domination, they thought Christ was going to come at any minute. And you know, under Chairman Mao, in the old China, which is in your lifetime, they thought the tribulation had already taken place, and they were in the tribulation that the Lord had come way before. It was so desperate. But he said, since the collapse of the Soviet Union, capitalism has come in. Look at the pressure Russia is now putting on. They control all of the natural gas in Europe and will eventually use that to choke the economy of the European common market. They're powerful now. The preaching about the coming of the Lord and its imminency is overlooked because when life gets easy, you don't think he's coming. Child of God, if you believe the Lord Jesus Christ, if you knew, we don't, if you knew that before the sun set tonight, the Lord Jesus would come during this day, would you think about your Christian life any differently than you do now? John wrote to the church, If any man have this confidence, 1 John 3, if any man have this confidence in him, he purifies himself as God is pure. 
America needs a prophet who will say to the lackadaisical, somewhat comfortable, evangelical Christian who knows the Bible and gets it constantly through every form of media to make us stronger in grace, wake up. Redemption draws nigh. We all should give an account of ourselves before him. And our work will either be gold, silver, or precious stone. But when the fire of God comes to dissolve the works and the lifestyle that is indifferent and temporary, we might be ashamed at his coming. What kind of believer are you? Don't you want you to be a reflection of the teaching of the word in this church? Don't you want the church in the years to come, and Skip will have his 30th anniversary in 24 months, don't you want this to be in a KI and a Macedonia church? Forget about that. That's not your responsibility. That's the responsibility of the leadership. But as a believer, when you go out that door, are you going to be holy and upright? Are you going to be a person of integrity? Are you going to listen to your conscience? Are you going to say this morning at the end of this message, and again, no open appeal, Dear Lord, take out of my life those things that are just not right. I don't have a faith that's strong. It's not resilient. I don't need anybody to tell me that. Lord, you've been reminding me of that for such a long time. Cleanse me of those things that are impediments and fill me with the Holy Spirit with an experience that will make me joyful in spite of affliction and cause me to live at the edge of the seat, knowing that at any moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the voice of the archangel, which is Jesus himself, the dead in Christ shall arise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be evacuated unto the coming of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm not scolding you, I'm saying, comfort one another with these words, because you're right with the Lord. May God give a sweeping, deep-seated, life-changing awakening to those of us who know the gospel, who are established, who need to be more experienced in our faith, and who are living as if the Lord Jesus can come today. Maranatha, the Lord comes. Blessed Lord, may the words of my mouth and the things that we have thought about that you have chased through our minds this morning make Rossroads and all of these believers stronger and more bold in our faith and this church grander so the future of this church will be far more superior in its blessing and power than the happy days that it's experienced in the last 27 Thank you for the pulpit that remains steadfast and unswerving in its preaching. Thank you for Pastor Skip. Keep him safe and lend you in this time so needed by busy and harassed pastors. Restore him mightily, we pray. And keep your hand of favor upon us until you come again. We pray with joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. 
If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.